Now let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. I'll be preaching from verses 1 through 6. It's a challenging passage to preach. Ah, thank you. Okay. And I'm very much in process of learning how to obey what Peter is talking about here. So I need prayer. We all need prayer. And let's pray and ask for God's help this morning. Father, you know how much help we need to obey what Peter says in this passage. And so would you come and help us? Thank you that everything you call us to do, you enable us to do. We don't have the strength. We don't have the ability. But we look to you by faith and say, help us, Lord. We trust your word. And so I ask for your help also to be able to explain this passage clearly and helpfully. Lord, give me wisdom. Give me your heart. And I pray that this would be a transforming morning for each of us here today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one truth that we have seen from 1 Peter so far that Pastor Matt has so clearly and helpfully explained to us is that fully committed followers of Jesus will experience suffering and trials. We've seen that from 1 Peter so far, haven't we? It's not the case that the more committed you are to Jesus, the less trials you have. We'd like it to be that way, but that's not how the Bible explains it. Fully committed, faithful followers of Jesus do experience suffering and trials. We've seen that from 1 Peter so far. Let me share with you a couple of other scriptures just to lay a foundation for where this passage is going. Remember John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus gave a promise to his disciples. He said, in the world you will have tribulation. His followers would have tribulation. And then in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 13 through 14, Jesus said, the way that leads to destruction is wide and easy. But the way that leads to life is narrow and hard. The way that leads to life is narrow and hard. And then in Acts 14.22, Paul preaches to some brand new churches, and his message is, it's through many tribulations that we enter the kingdom of God. The path to heaven goes through many tribulations. Now, we know it's true that as we go through these trials and this suffering, God will comfort us and pour his love into our hearts and strengthen us and sustain us with his nearness. He will do that, but it's also true that fully committed followers of Jesus will have trials and suffering. But now, this creates a problem. So I was thinking about this this week. It's a big problem. Because before we were saved, we all had a mindset of avoiding suffering at all costs, right? We did everything we possibly could do to avoid suffering. But when we were saved, that mindset then creates a problem. Because if our mindset is to avoid suffering, and if the path of following Jesus includes suffering, 
then that mindset of avoiding suffering will get in the way of our obeying Jesus Christ. Right? And that's why in this passage, Peter calls us to change our mindset about suffering. He calls us to think about suffering in an entirely different way. Let's look at what he says. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Verse 1. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, they speak against you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. In verse 1, Peter calls us to arm ourselves. He sees that we're in a war, a spiritual war, and he wants us to be fully armed for this war. But Peter doesn't call us to arm ourselves with like a helmet of salvation or the sword of the Spirit like Paul does in Ephesians 6. Peter calls us to arm ourselves with a very unusual weapon. So what is this weapon that Peter wants each of us to arm ourselves with? It's right there in verse 1, first part of verse 1. Look again at what he says. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. The same way of thinking. Arm yourself with the same way of thinking that Jesus had when he went ahead and suffered in the flesh. So Peter wants us to arm ourselves with a, a willingness to suffer. Jesus had a, a willingness to walk the Calvary road towards suffering. Peter calls us to arm ourselves with that same mindset that same way of thinking, to arm ourselves with a willingness to suffer. Now, how is that a weapon? Just to be armed for this war we're in, how is it a weapon to arm yourself with this willingness to suffer? Well, it's because one of the lies, one of the attacks Satan will bring against us is to whisper to us that Christians aren't supposed to suffer. Not if you're really faithful to God. He loves you, doesn't he? So Christians aren't supposed to suffer. And the reason, he can, the reason he whispers to us that Christians aren't supposed to suffer is because if he can persuade us of that, then when the path of obedience calls us to suffer, we'll stand back from the path of obedience. I'll give you an example. Let's say that someone invites you to go on a missions trip with them to Bangladesh. 
where you're going to be encouraging believers and strengthening them and helping them advance the gospel. Powerful opportunity to, to bless God's people and to do the work of the kingdom. But you know that rural Bangladesh is going to be very hot and there's no air conditioners there. The setting is going to be very rustic, no running water, lots of discomforts, lots of suffering, lots of trials. You know that that's what you're going to be facing. And, and right at that moment as you're thinking about this, Satan brings this thought into your mind, that's just too hard. Surely Jesus wouldn't call you to do something as hard as that, would he? Now, if you've armed yourself with a willingness to suffer, if you've armed yourself knowing that Jesus does call us to suffer, his glory is worth suffering, and so therefore you are willing to suffer, if you've armed yourself with that, Satan's attack will bounce right off of you. That's a lie, Satan. I'm going. Suffering be what it will. Another example. Let's say you have uh, neighbors who don't know the Lord, and the Holy Spirit stirs your heart to invite them over, to love them, to build a relationship to them, with them, to reach out to them, to hear their story, maybe have an opportunity to share some of your story about Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit is, is stirring you that this would be a good thing to do. And then Satan attacks. He launches this fiery dart against you. What if they are zealously against Christians? What if they are offended when you mention the name of Jesus? What if they leave and there's this big barrier between you and them and they start spreading rumors about you in the neighborhood and all kinds of problems develop? So Satan is launching this attack against you. Now, if you have armed yourself with a willingness to suffer, if you've armed yourself knowing that Jesus does call us to suffer, don't be, don't be foolish, but he does call us to suffer. And that suffering for his glory is worth it because his glory is everything. And so therefore you're willing to suffer. That attack from Satan will bounce right off of you. So can you see how it is a powerful piece of armor? It's a powerful weapon to arm yourself with to have a willingness to suffer for Jesus' glory and for the gospel. Now, Two things this does not mean. Very important. One, this does not mean that we try to find suffering, that we search out suffering. How can I find some suffering today? We don't do that. We just walk the path of obedience because there will be plenty of suffering in the path of obedience, Jesus said. We don't look for suffering, but we obey even when it's there. It's one thing it doesn't mean. We don't look for suffering. And then secondly, when suffering is there, we don't just passively sit back and let it happen. We pray, just like Jesus prayed, take this cup from me. Just like Paul said, pray for these people that they will not persecute me. We pray that we will not be suffering. We pray there will not be persecution. We pray for that. Okay, but given that, we know Jesus has told us that the path of obedience will involve suffering. And so what Peter calls us to arm ourselves with is a willingness to suffer. So how are you doing with a willingness to suffer? Like I said, I'm, I'm very much in process with this passage. Made a little ground, got more ground to go, and I would guess we're all in the same place. But one thing I love about how the Holy Spirit inspired biblical authors to write is they didn't just give commands. Boom, 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 boom. They gave commands, yes. But here Peter also gives us 
encouragements which will help us obey that command. He gives us five of them, five encouragements to help us obey this command. So let's go through them. What truths does Peter give us that will encourage us to take on this new mindset of a willingness to suffer? So Peter's intention is that by the time we work through these six verses and see these five reasons, that in each of our hearts, our willingness to suffer will have grown. We will be more armed with that willingness to suffer. So let's go through them one by one and ask the Holy Spirit to do that work in our hearts. So what truths will encourage us to do this? First, the truth that Christ suffered in the flesh. That's right there in the first part of verse 1. Peter says, since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, so since he suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Our Lord walked the path of suffering. He had nowhere to lay his head. He had religious leaders trying to trip him up. He had people turning against him. He had people on the lookout for him. He, was, he had to leave places because they were trying to, to kill him until, of course, then finally he walked the Calvary Road to the cross where he terribly suffered. So Jesus walked the path of suffering. He took up his cross. And just like Angus read this morning, Jesus says, you take up your cross and follow me on the road of suffering. So since our Lord Jesus suffered, it's fitting, it's appropriate, it makes sense that we would, who were following in his footsteps, be called to suffer. I was reading a pastor who preached on this passage, and he, he referred to Richard Wormbrandt, who was a Romanian pastor in communist Romania, Baptist pastor, and for 14 years, years. He was treated terribly in prison in Romania. And after he was released, he wrote a book. And here's a section of what he writes in this book. He said, I have accepted this proposal that Christians are meant to have the same vocation, the same calling as their king. That of cross bearers. It is this conscience, this awareness of a high calling and of partnership with Jesus, which brings gladness in tribulations. Because just, you know, he knows that when he's suffering, he's in fellowship with Jesus, the fellowship of Jesus' suffering. So it's, it's this consciousness, conscience of a high calling and of partnership with Jesus, which brings gladness in tribulation. And then get this next line, which makes Christians enter prisons for their faith with the joy of a bridegroom entering the bridal room. We are called into the fellowship of his sufferings. Our Lord Jesus walked the path of suffering. And when he calls us to suffer, and we are willing for his glory to suffer, there is a sweetness of fellowship that I believe is unmatched. This fellowship of his sufferings. But the point is, Jesus suffered in the flesh. Since he suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mindset to be willing to suffer. 
So arm yourself with the willingness to suffer because that's what Jesus did. That's the first truth. Second, suffering will set us free from sin. That's at the end of verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for, here's the reason why, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, it's not that suffering frees you from all sin. The Bible is very clear that we're not freed from all sin until heaven. But when you see that Jesus is worth suffering for, and when you turn away from the pursuit of worldly comforts and ease and pleasure, and you choose to suffer for the glory of Jesus Christ, that choice puts sin to death in your hearts. You've experienced that. You've, you've felt that. I remember years ago when we were planting our church in, in California, in America, we moved to an area where there was, we didn't know anybody there, and so I, I had to work in real estate to pay the bills. And God blessed the real estate work so much that the company asked me to be on a panel of four other agents to share with 400 real estate agents what we were doing that was, uh, was, was yielding such success. And, and I, I knew that the first question was going to be, how are you called into real estate? And I knew that the answer was, God told me to work in real estate to help plant a church. So I'm thinking, I'm going to be in front of 400 agents, and they're going to ask me this question, and what am I going to say? And so I had to make a choice between pursuing the path of wanting them all to like me and think I'm a nice guy and not ruffling any feathers and not making any waves versus the path of speaking the name of Jesus Christ because his glory is worth it all, no matter how that might offend some of them. I mean, I, I wanted to be gracious and humble in what I said, but, you know, the gospel does offend people. And so that morning, sitting at my desk before I went to the breakfast, I just had to make a choice. What am I going to say? And it was God's grace alone which enabled me to say, I'm going to turn from wanting everybody to like me and Jesus, your glory is worth it to speak your name in front of these agents is worth it. And, and that choice, I felt pride and sin crushed with that choice. You felt that, haven't you? And the beautiful thing was, so I, they asked me that question, and I shared that story, and two or three people walked up afterwards and said, I'd like to hear more about what you said about God and about Jesus. Now, some of them were offended. I could tell. They were distant. They looked at me funny the rest of that day. That happened. But some of them, and one of them, if I remember right, met the Lord in the next weeks and months. But see, you've experienced that, haven't you? Times where you have faced the prospect of suffering for obeying Christ, and you looked at the, the worldly comforts and pleasures that you could stay in, and you looked at Christ, who's on the road, the Calvary road of suffering, calling you, follow me into suffering. I'll be there. I'll fellowship with you. I'll make it worth it all. And you look at that and you choose, I'm going to follow you, Lord Jesus. That choice puts sin to death in your heart. So arm yourself with the willingness to suffer because that action will crush sin in your life. Isn't that good news? Is your willingness to suffer growing? Okay, we still got three more. All right? Third. Excuse me, let me get my page here. Third. Oh, this is very powerful. We've had enough time to sin. 
had enough time to pursue worldly comforts. That's verse 3. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. In other words, you've had enough time to pursue sin. You've had enough time to pursue sin. You've had enough time to drink and party and pursue worldly comforts with their puny rewards. You've had enough time to pursue the world's things with its puny rewards. You've only got so much time left to walk the path of obedience and experience the suffering that's on that and gain the massively greater rewards of joy in Christ forever. You've had enough time to pursue the puny rewards. You've just got so much time left to obey Christ fully, even with suffering, and to gain those full rewards. Now, Peter is not saying that the way we live here on in, in the future, makes up for our past. There's only one way that the past sin in your life can be made up for, and that's how. Through Jesus' death on the cross and trusting him. Very important. So it's not that our obedience now makes up for that past time, but it's that because of the cross, God mercifully chooses to reward our walking in the path of obedient suffering with more joy in him forever. So we've had enough time to pursue the puny rewards. We've just got so much time left to walk this path of willingness to suffer for the gospel for the sake of Christ. Let's do it. Now let me give you an illustration from the life of a woman named Anne Hasseltine. Maybe some of you have heard of her. She lived in America in the early 1800s. And Anne received a wedding proposal from Adoniram Judson. Anybody heard of Adoniram Judson? Now, the problem with this wedding proposal was that Anne knew that Adoniram Judson was called to be a missionary to Burma, which today is called Myanmar. And she knew. She had done some research. She knew this proposal was coming, so she had done her preparation. She knew that Burma was a very difficult place to live in terms of climate, in terms of diseases, and very dangerous politically and spiritually to be a Christian there. They were opposed to Christians, but there was no gospel witness there, no churches there, and Adoniram Judson was called to take the gospel to a hard, dangerous place. And so what did Anne Hasseltine do? She prayed, she looked clearly at the suffering that would be there, and there was great suffering, but she decided to say yes to Adoniram Judson. And here's what she wrote in a letter to a friend explaining her decision. She said, how short is time, but how boundless is eternity. If we may be considered worthy to suffer for Jesus here, will it not enhance our happiness forever? You see how she's thinking? Had plenty of time here on earth pursuing earthly comforts. I've just got a short amount of time left. If, if my living in obedience to Christ, even with suffering, will increase my joy in heaven forever, doesn't that make total sense? It does. It makes complete sense. So since eternal joy awaits, friends, arm yourself with a willingness to suffer for Christ. Fourth reason. Those who harm you will give an account to God. That's verses 4 and 5. 
Peter says, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, speak ill of you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Here's what's going on. Some of Peter's readers had friends who lived the partying lifestyle, and these friends were surprised when Peter's readers, when they became believers, they stopped living the partying lifestyle. And these friends who were living in the partying lifestyle were offended. They were troubled. They were bothered. And so they started maligning these believers by speaking negatively, speaking harmfully, spreading terrible, malicious rumors about them, persecuting them in that way. Now, these believers would have longed for their persecutors to come to faith and be forgiven by Christ. They would have longed for that to happen. They loved these people. Okay, but they knew, by what Peter says here, that if their friends didn't come to Christ, justice would still be done. Justice would still be done, and their persecutors would give an account to God for what they had done. That's the point of verse 5. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. When Jesus returns, everyone who has died will be raised from the dead and joined with all those who are still alive, and those who have not trusted Jesus Christ will be judged by Jesus Christ. And the book of Revelation says that Jesus in judgment, when he's judging, his eyes are like a flame of fire. And the book of Revelation says that people will cry out for rocks to fall upon them, to hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. So what Peter is saying in this passage, I mean, just imagine, if you, if you will, what it would be like if you were not saved, not forgiven through Jesus' death on the cross, to be standing before him whose eyes are like a flame of fire and knowing that he is going to judge you. You have to give an account to him for how you have mistreated his followers, how you have mistreated his bride, how you have mistreated his church. Imagine what that would feel like. Now, we don't wish that on anyone. We long for everyone, anybody who might harm us or persecute us or anyone, we long for them to come to faith in Christ and be completely forgiven. But if they don't, justice will still be done, and they will give an account to Jesus for the persecution. So since justice will be done, at the end of history, the second coming, since justice will be done, arm yourselves with the willingness to suffer. One last reason. Our destiny is eternal life. It's in verse 6. Verse 6 is not an easy verse to understand. Let me read it, and I'll try to explain what I think it means. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Now, when Peter says the gospel was preached to those who were dead, he means it was preached to people. They were alive when it was preached to them. They put their faith in Christ, but since then they have died. 
So they were alive, gospels preached to them, they put their faith in Christ, but since then, they've died. That's what he means when he says the gospels preached to those who are now dead. Okay, but now here, that raises a question. If both believers and unbelievers face the same fate and die on earth, in other words, if they, both believers and unbelievers, are judged in the flesh the way people are, that could make you raise the question, well then why, what's, what's the worth of following Jesus? If believers and unbelievers die, why not just eat and drink because tomorrow we're going to die, right? Do, do, do you feel the weight of that question? And what Peter says in this passage is this, even though both believers and unbelievers die physically, believers will live in the spirit the way God does. Believers will live forever with eternal life. And it's the eternal life that makes the suffering in this life worth it. So here's what this means. Because you are trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, as your treasure, after you die, you will die just like non-believers die, but after you die, you'll be raised from the dead into the new heavens and the new earth with a brand new body, no more suffering, no more pain, no more dying. God himself will wipe every tear from your eyes. You will join the redeemed in worshiping Jesus Christ. You'll see him face to face. You'll be filled with joy forever, ever increasing joy, worshiping Jesus Christ, the lamb that was slain with all the believers. And at that moment, you will completely see and feel that the heat of Bangladesh was worth it. And any fallout, any consequences of bearing witness to Jesus was worth it. And any ostracism or gossip or barriers between you and your neighbors was worth it. And the long lines to get your visa renewed and your license taken care of and all the bureaucratic stuff is worth it. You will see that every bit of suffering was completely worth it. You will bow down before Jesus and look him in the eyes and say, thank you for the honor of every bit of suffering. I see your glory. You are worth it all. I wish I could do it over and over and over again. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. So, church, arm yourself with the willingness to suffer because the joy you will have in being with Jesus, beholding Jesus, worshiping Jesus with the redeemed forever is worth it all. Let me pray for us. Oh Lord, there is still remaining sin in our hearts that does not like this message. There is sin in our hearts which does not welcome the prospect of suffering for your glory. And so we need your help. Thank you for this passage. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you will help us. And Lord, I pray we pray together. Would you help us this week as we face the prospect of some suffering by taking steps of obedience? Help us this week to arm ourselves with the willingness to suffer because you and your glory are worth it all. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Won't you stand even as we close in singing this?